COVID-19 has really become a tool for persecutors against Christians. In a world that continues to reel from the global pandemic that seems to have no end in sight, we look to other places around the world where even worse than getting COVID is simply being a Christian. Today on the program, we talk with Fadi Sharia about Christianity in the Middle East and North Africa and the dire need to report this in media. Kia Alipur speaks about Iran's efforts to quash Christianity, but the religion is still growing. Plus, a man who miraculously defected from North Korea tells his story of survival. And Greg Musselman speaks to how the Christian faith is flourishing despite persecution on all fronts. But first, Gary Stagg explains the astonishing numbers behind the 2021 World Watch List. Here's Maggie Jong. North Korea, Afghanistan, and Somalia top this year's World Watch List, an extensive group of the most dangerous places to be a Christian. Gary Stagg is the executive director of Open Doors Canada, the organization that publishes the World Watch List, and joins us now. Now, Gary, thanks for joining us today. North Korea has topped this list for now over 20 years. It seems it's impossible for Christians to survive in this closed-off country. Tell us why. Well, it's uh, it, it, the, the minute that um, somebody confesses that they're a Christian in North Korea, if you decide that you're going to take that step and follow Jesus, basically, you're uh, pretty much guaranteed that you will be sent to a brutal labor camp. And not only you, but also your entire family and extended family members as well. So uh, most of our brothers and sisters in North Korea will try to keep it as quiet as they can. In fact, uh, they will not even let their children know that they are born into a Christian home until such a time that they feel that the children can be trusted with that information because the whole regime is set up to, to basically get that information out of those children as they go to school. They'll ask diagnostic questions about, um, you know, if there's a black book in your house and what does it look like and so on. And so they really do just have to keep it, uh, keep it quiet. It's a secret church for sure. That's fascinating. Things that we take for granted, like making sure that our children know about our faith as early as possible. Many of our brothers and sisters in North Korea have to hide that from their children. Wow, just allowing that to sink in. In the past month, at least 100 people have been killed by an Islamic extremist group in a series of attacks in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And we're hearing uh, a lot of them are Christians. What do you know about this? There's just been a barrage of attacks on Christians and Christian villages, just wiping out whole, almost all communities uh, in, in that burning the communities out. They're not always killed, but uh, oftentimes uh, that is the case. There's a big rise in, in violence for sure. And especially during these times when we're all suffering through this pandemic, it's even a, a greater risk for our brothers and sisters in these countries. Yeah, keeping keeping it mindful uh, of what they're going through as well. Now, according to the watch list, one in every eight Christians around the world are persecuted for their faith. That varies in many ways. Can you give us some examples? You know, oftentimes when we talk about persecution, people automatically think in terms of violence. But in most cases, it's not, it's not violence, although we have seen an increase in violence, and that is certainly a real threat to Christians around the world. But uh, for the most part, it's the daily squeeze on their lives. It's the, um, it's the being denied proper education for their children, 
just being uh, being denied jobs because uh, they are Christians. In these countries, in most of these countries, they have to have on their identification, their government identification has to have their religion listed on it. And so as soon as they find out they're Christians, they are um, just marginalized immediately. And so they live with that daily pressure all the time. And that, and that, that after a while really uh, has a way of wearing people down. And uh, of course, the whole approach is so that the church would be weakened. Well, thank you again, Gary, for sharing uh, such important information. I'm, I'm stuck with so many things that you've said today. Again, Gary Stagg, Executive Director of Open Doors Canada. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to publish this World Watch List and keeping it top of mind, especially for the church here in the West, of how we need to pray and who we need to pray for. Thank you. Christians are not the only persecuted people of faith in the world, but they are the most persecuted. There are many denominations that make up the Christian faith. Context executive producer Susan Ponting talks with Fadi Sharia about those denominations, specifically in the Middle East and North Africa. Fadi, thank you so much for being here. How many Christian denominations are there currently? There are two main things, Eastern and then the Western. And the Western, I mean by Western, Catholic, Anglicans, and then the Eastern by Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. From the Greek Orthodox, we have different denominations like Coptics and uh, the Ethiopians. Uh, but the problem would be with the, with the Protestant, where we have so many, we have the Anabaptists, and from the Anabaptists, we have so many like the Baptists and other denominations as well. That is a fact, correct? That Christians are the most persecuted? Actually, it is a fact, but the problem is that the media, they don't talk about this. So uh, we don't know in Canada, yeah. Why do you think that is? So many things. One, in Canada, and I'll be very honest, we try to be very, I would say very uh, diplomatic around it and try to do the right thing and say the right thing. So that's why we don't talk about people in, in um, you know, in Egypt were harassed or people were killed in Africa because of their faith. Actually, we have around four or five thousand people being killed each year because of their faith in different uh, countries. We don't talk about this. Where in the Middle East and North Africa is the situation the worst for Christians? Um, well, this is a good question because it really varies from one country to another. Let me put it this way. Christians go through different harsh time being Christian in, in the Middle East, North Africa, and all over the world. And by the way, this is coming to Canada as well. So if you are waiting for this, it is coming to Canada. And actually, I'm embracing it. Uh, promise us with, that we will be pressured, we will be persecuted against. But with this comes the grace of God. And in Canada, the government having uh, you know, a law uh, according to the, the Islamophobia law, for example, is one good example. You can talk badly about any religion like Christianity or Christians, but you cannot talk about the religion of Islam. I mean, why not to talk about different religions in the same way? Why not, why not to have the same standard for all? Why do you think there is an Islamophobia bill? Canadians, we are so polite and we think that because of Christianity is the religion of the white people, then we need to give, you know, the non-white 
you know, religion, more freedom or more space to uh, explain more about themselves, which is a thing because Christianity started in the Middle East. <laughs> but you cannot enforce religion on people. You cannot impose religion on people. It's so interesting that Christianity, God pitched his tent in the Middle East and church started out as what it's become now, which is in the home. Uh, of course, we have Zoom. and But over here, it's grown into this big mega church kind of thing. But it's like this year during COVID, we're back to home church. You're right. But mind you that uh, we have Christian brothers, sisters from China more than we have from the U.S. or Canada. Okay, just to remind you. So whenever I drive down the street, I see churches closing down. While whenever I go to the MENA, whatever country, you would have Christians coming together. Listen, I know more pastors in Canada by the name of Muhammad, <laughs> more than Mike and James. Okay, which means that people are not only coming to faith, but they are very much practicing, you know, uh, basically some kind of ministry. So, and this is a chance for us, one, to reflect and repent as a church in Canada, and then go back to the roots and go back to the, you know, look at Canada like as a country, the whole country was established on Christian or biblical, you know, concept and foundation. Where are we from that? To go to Ottawa, the parliament, they have verses all over, even the national anthem, you know, is taken from the Bible, from Old Testament. So where is that in, in our sense right now? We, we don't find it anymore, which is Christian heritage that we don't find all over. I find it maybe in Manitoba more than whatever I see in Toronto or in Kerry. Wow, yeah. What do you attribute that to? Uh, again, uh, basically, I think that uh, we're becoming, we, we took things for granted. Let me put it this way. Whenever you are blessed, you take things for granted. So as a church with a capital C in Canada, we took things for granted. And we are not really educating our kids. We are not living the Christian anymore as we used to. That's why my favorite place to visit is a, is a small town in Manitoba, like Winkler going to Toronto because people over there are more, you know, more engaged in that sense. And also we are, we don't have a story to tell. And this is the problem. I think we don't have a story with Jesus to tell. We don't have like on a daily basis, what's happening? What, what is the Lord teaching me today? What is happening in that sense? Fadi, thank you so much for the work you do at MENA. And thank you for educating us today. A real pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Thank you. 115 Iranian Christians were arrested in 2020, though only 52 of those arrests were publicly reported. My next guest says Iranians are seeking God more than ever, even in the face of persecution. Kia Alipur works with Article 18, an organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of religious freedom based on Article 18 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights by the United Nations. Kia, thanks so much for joining us today. Now, Iran remains on the world watch list, and yet the Iranian government says no one is persecuted on religious grounds. What is reality like for Christians in that country? Uh, thank you for having me. Well, it's a longer story. 
uh, Christian community, along with other religious minorities, face systematic state persecution and discrimination in Iran. Iran has ethnic and non-ethnic Christians. Ethnic Christian communities uh, are permitted a degree of freedom to worship, although they also suffer restriction and discrimination in a larger scale. Um, but the growing community of Christian converts or non-ethnic Christians is not even permitted to attend recognized churches. And they have to gather for worship in secret house churches and risk arrest and imprisonment. Uh, as you mentioned, in the year 2020, 115 Iranian Christians were arrested. Two Iranian Christians were flogged only for drinking wine as a part of communion. Others were denied education or employment, and one couple were told they could no longer retain custody for um, their adopted uh, lovely daughter, Lydia, uh, on account on, on their faith. This is the reality for Christians in Iran. Children being taken away from their parents because of their faith. Now, you came to faith, Kia, uh, in Jesus, in the Netherlands after you fled Iran. And you say there is a hunger for Jesus in Iran. Tell us more about that. Why is there such a hunger? Uh, it is. It is uh, such a huge hunger. Uh, and this is unbelievable just to... Uh, uh, just to give you an example, before the revolution of 1979, there were approximately 500 or 600 uh, believers from Muslim background in Iran. But now, according to several reports, Iran is one of the most growing evangelical churches in the world. Approximately more than 800,000 Christians uh, live in Iran, and the majority of them uh, are converts. And this is a conservative estimate, by the way. Um, and uh, we shouldn't forget that many converts do not report their faith publicly due to fear of persecution. So we see from one side persecution is growing, on the other side God is at work. Yeah. And um, the Iranian regime is also very, very fearful of the, of the growth of Christianity in Iran. Why? Because if more and more Iranians convert to Christianity, the legitimacy of Iranian regime Oh, which is based on Islamic theocracy, not democracy, Islamic, Islamic theocracy, will be totally lost. And this is one of the reasons that the persecution is on the rise. But obviously, um, as you also mentioned, we see that God is also at work in Iran. Yeah, that gave me goosebumps as you talked about that. I have to ask you this, this question, Kia. You know, I'm always fascinated at the fact that there are so many people who will risk their lives for their faith. And there is a surge of the underground churches in Iran. Why is it that these people continue to risk their lives for a faith that they believe in, even though that they know that they might face imprisonment, death, even loss of their children? Well, you're absolutely right, uh, Maggie. Uh, first of all, persecution results from our identification with Christ. And for the past four decades, the number of Christian converts has increased, uh, as, we, uh, as we mentioned, and that has alarmed Iranian authorities. Therefore, they all have began placing more restrictions on church attendees, violating freedom of worship, and shutting down Iran's main uh, Persian language Bible publisher, even extrajudicial killing of the church leaders inside the country. But despite all risks, Christians gather together in house churches or online churches. Um, during the pandemic, for example, many Christians in Canada and worldwide were forced to 
a fellowship online. Uh, probably you, you did it as well. Uh, but for many years, online churches in Iran have been providing fellowship, teachings, trainings, and, and counseling even uh, for the isolated believers because they cannot easily uh, have, have fellowship. Uh, this is what we have over here and we shouldn't take it for granted. Um, and um, yeah, and they should be, by the way, they should be very careful Iranians, I mean, with the cyber army of the Iranian regime. So even um, coming online and having fellowship online is, is, uh, is not, uh, is very risky. Yeah. Thank you so much. Kia Alipur from Article 18. Thank you so much for your time and also for your work. You're most welcome. Coming up on the queue, Greg Musselman of 100 Huntley Street and the Voice of the Martyrs shares the horrific stories of forced marriage and conversion in Pakistan and Eritrea. That's coming up. Like to watch more context beyond the headlines? Catch up on any of our shows online. On YouTube, search Context Beyond the Headlines for the most up-to-date episodes and extended content. Listen on the go with Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Check out our reporters' and producers' stories at our website, context.show. Follow us on Instagram at Context Beyond the Headlines and Twitter at Context TV. There are so many ways to put more context into your life. As a Canadian, um, going to North Korea for him was to be able to share the blessing uh, of Canada to those in North Korea. And, um, and to know that Canada has stood for him, stood by him, uh, we are so grateful for. We just heard the worst place to be a Christian is North Korea. Many Christians have died there, and some, like Canadian Pastor Lim, were miraculously released. Christine Yu now speaks with a man who experienced firsthand persecution in North Korea. You were born in North Korea, you lived on the streets, you went through imprisonment for trying to escape your country. Can you tell us a little bit about that process, what that was like for you? Yes. Um, so by one sentence I can describe um, uh, a journey was a persevering journey until I, uh, was, uh, I have been able to manage to get into democratic society and life today where I am. And however, that process was, I had to escape twice and imprisoned four times, which often I also think of this, well, I how I got this life into, um, uh, into this moment, because of that process were quite challenging and scary, and you could not predict or expect anything what it could come to you uh, in, in, uh, in the next minute. So I, I am grateful for the life I have here at the moment, particularly that I am uh, able to attend church, freely worship, you know, and how my faith was able to rely on God and to ask for his salvation and, and rest of who I am today here. I continue on with this. Uh, tell us a little bit about what Christian persecution looks like in North Korea. When I was there, I had to escape, uh, uh, survive. And, and even right now, at this moment, the people are continuing escaping from this country for survival. So particularly when I go uh, uh, deep into this conversation of faith, um, we all know that North Korea is the system of uh, uh, man of God. And the Kim family particularly, 
they would not allow uh, anyone could follow and love of Jesus and comfort. In particular, when people read biblical scriptures, in the meantime, North Korea has created a system of prison for the whole society as a prison. If you want to be Christian and you have to uh, uh, escape to another country, that's another option. Like myself, who I am now, I can explore to talk about this freely. But um, um, if you are a Christian and they discovered then your family is ta being taken to a prison camp. How did you come to know God? How did you come to learn of Jesus Christ in your journey? Thank you. Thank you for asking that very important question. <laughs> um, I didn't know about God actually in North Korea. Well, what I experienced of seeing public persecution when I was a little boy. So this was happened and I, I had to, unfortunately, I had to live on the street for a few years after my parents has, uh, uh, escaped China during the early period, the first wave of uh, refugee influx, influx into China. Um, I didn't know anything about, but I heard from my neighbors around the people who went to China and went to church, the church often uh, provide them uh, a, a Bible clothes and some financial assistance. And they came back with all these kind of you know, stories. Now, some people may be tuning into the radio programs that are broadcast into North Korea through organizations like Open Doors. Um, what would you want to say to those that may be listening? You must do everything as much as the radio can go into North Korea. And they, uh, from my own experience, I was waiting for foreign radios from outside it comes. And particularly, you have to listen to it during early morning when everyone is in bed. This, these are great opportunity equipment. And that radio, it brought me, uh, it gave me kind of feeling of comfort and expectation to listen to something news from outside. Imagination expectation and hope and general life stories that's what they need for well we're gonna leave it there but thank you so much timothy for joining us and for being a light and continuing to fight for the freedoms of your country thank you thank you thank you for having me once again Time now for the queue. 340 million Christians around the world suffer high levels of persecution for their faith. That is according to the World Watch List. I'm joined now by Greg Musselman, who is on the front lines with 100 Huntley Street and as Minister at Large of the Voice of the Martyrs. Thank you so much for joining me, Greg. Good to be with Maggie and great to see you again. Greg, the U.S. State Department has declared Pakistan as a country of particular concern when it comes to their violations of religious freedoms. You've seen and heard a number of the stories coming out of that country when it comes to persecution. Tell us what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, Pakistan has a very small Christian population, 1.6, and I've been there a few times, and you know, I can tell you that not only Christians, but anybody that is not Muslim uh, really suffer you know, intense persecution in many cases with job loss and the worst jobs. But I think the thing that affects me the most, Maggie, is the young girls, the 13, 14, 15-year-old girls. 
that are often kidnapped, uh, they are assaulted, sexually assaulted, and then forced into Islam and forced into marriages with men that are much older than they are. And it is heartbreaking, and that goes on about a thousand times a year. Again, it's anybody that's not Muslim that is targeted, but especially the Christians who are really considered second class in that culture. And Eritrea is another country that both of us have reported on over the years. Christians are imprisoned there at an alarming rate. Tell us about this, Greg. Yeah, well, this goes all the way back to May of 2002 because of the growth of the evangelical church, which is often linked to the West, especially the United States, and the Eritrean government uh, being very paranoid. Isaiah Sepworki is the president. And uh, anything that they see as, you know, kind of Western, they come against. And then you also couple that with the fact that the state church uh, also put pressure on the uh, Eritrean government to stop the spread of evangelical Christianity because many people were leaving the state church, the Orthodox church, and becoming evangelicals. In fact, there's one church, and I met leaders from there in the capital city of Asmara that was more than 10,000 people. So in May 2002, they made it uh, that the churches had to register. And in that time, only a handful of churches and not evangelical churches got registered. And so the believers then would continue to meet and at weddings, uh, in their homes, they were arrested. And I think at the height of, uh, you know, in terms of Christians being in prison, Maggie, it was probably more than 3,000. It's difficult to know how many, uh, you know, followers of Jesus are imprisoned in Eritrea, but it's still in the hundreds. Now, there has been some good news uh, recently because of the overcrowding and COVID. Those are not good things. But because of that, a number of evangelical Eritrean Christians have been released from prison, and uh, some of them have been there for more than five years. You know, they're kept in shipping containers, military prisons under horrible conditions. Uh, many have died. Many have died trying to escape, you know, going to Italy and drowning. Uh, it's, it's a horrible situation, and we certainly need to pray. Greg, we've been friends for quite a long time, and you've dedicated most of your life, a, part, a good chunk of your life, to telling these stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. What do we in the Western world need to be reminded of when we are hearing these accounts so that they just don't leave us and we move on with our lives? Yeah, that, you know, that's a great question, Maggie. And I've been at this for you know, a couple of decades now. And, uh, you know, I'm, I find even still it's so difficult, especially, you know, when you're hearing these stories of these young girls like Arzu Raja in Pakistan, you know, 14 years old. Now, she after two weeks of being held captive she, by this mu much older Muslim man who kidnapped her from the neighborhood, she was released. But she was so brainwashed, you know, that, that she doesn't want to go home now. It's, it's absolutely horrible. Uh, but at least she's at a safe house. Other girls have not been released and they've been impregnated and, and it's horrible. But the stories themselves are so intense that we can sometimes just want to turn it off. But the most important thing we need to do is to pray. That's why I encourage people, you know, go to vomcanada.com, find out about what's happening, hear their names, see their faces and pray for them. And it's not just, you know, hearing the suffering, Maggie, but it's also the amazing victory and the faith that they have. And so as we pray, I believe the Lord then leads us in how we can help. I mean, there's so many needs in this world. Your program, of course, highlights amazing things like sex trafficking, racism, and all the things that we're dealing with. But this is something that, you know, when the Bible says, you know, if one part of the body, the church suffers, we all suffer. So praying, 
and then coming to the rescue to know that they are not alone and they, they're people that care about them in this great country of Canada. Greg Musselman, host of 100 Huntley Street and Minister at Large at The Voice of the Martyrs. Thank you, Greg, for all that you do. And thank you, Maggie, for all you do. God bless you, sister. The plight of Christians around the world is one we need to be aware of and praying for. As we heard on today's show, one in eight Christians around the world are persecuted because of their faith. The question is why? Why do many still believe in Jesus if it means death? Why do they hold on to hope in a savior they can be imprisoned or killed for worshiping? Maybe because they've experienced a hope that can only come from above. Something for us in the West to remember. For the scriptures say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm Maggie John. Thanks for watching.